This is the first episode in my series on High Output Management by Andy Grove. It's widely considered to be the best book on management, and by the end of this series, you'll understand why. I think Toby Lutke, the co-founder and CEO of Shopify, put it best in a recent interview with Tim Ferriss. Um, so, so Andy's book is unapologetically uh, almost a how-to man- manual that kind of dis- deconstructs the world of business into its into first principles. It's like, here's what matters. Here's how to think about it. No one needs a degree. This, there's a little bit of circumstantial, contextual understanding that you just have to have. But basically, it, it basically at the end of the day, making a business is an engineering exercise. I find books easier to remember when I have the context about the authors. So I think it's fitting to start with Andy Grove himself. Andy Grove escaped the ruins of post-war Europe and became one of the architects of Silicon Valley and the modern world as we know it. He was born to a middle-class Hungarian Jewish family on September 2nd, 1936, and his early life is summarised in his memoir, Swimming Across. I had lived through a Hungarian fascist dictatorship, German military occupation, the Nazis' final solution, the siege of Budapest by the Soviet Red Army, a period of chaotic democracy in the years immediately after the war, a variety of repressive communist regimes, and a popular uprising that was put down at gunpoint. Heeding the word of his aunt, who had survived Auschwitz, Andy joined the flood of refugees who escaped Hungary via Austria, in hopes of a better life in the West. He arrived in the United States at 21, barely able to speak English, with less than $20 to his name. By 31, Andy would have earned his bachelor's and PhD in chemical engineering, worked at Fairchild Semiconductor for four years, and written a college-level textbook on semiconductors. Then, at 32, Andy made the jump from Fairchild to Intel, on the day of its incorporation, joining its founders Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore as the company's director of engineering and employee number three. He would go on to establish the company's early manufacturing operations before becoming president at 43, CEO at 51, and chairman and CEO of Intel at 61. During his tenure, Intel's revenue grew from $2,672 to $20.8 billion. High Output Management was born out of Andy's experiences leading Intel. Nearly four decades after its initial publication, High Output Management has reached cult-like status and become a Silicon Valley staple. CEOs of highly productive teams reread it, top venture capitalists give copies to startup founders, and every manager worth their salt devours its content. This is because the book's three core concepts remain true. One, you can apply the principles and discipline of manufacturing to management. Two, work is done by teams, not individuals. And three, teams only perform well when each member is working at their best. But if you remember one thing and one thing only, remember this. A manager's output is equal to the output of their organisation plus the output of the neighbouring organisations under their influence. Besides Toby and Tim, 
Fans of high output management include Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO and co-founder of Facebook, Brian Chesky, the CEO and co-founder of Airbnb, Brian Armstrong, the CEO and co-founder of Coinbase, Drew Houston, the CEO and co-founder of Dropbox, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, the co-founders of A16Z, and Bill Campbell, the former executive coach to Larry Page and Sergey Brin at Google, Steve Jobs at Apple, and Jeff Bezos at Amazon. Before we can apply the principles and discipline of manufacturing to management, we first need to understand the principles of production. Imagine you're tasked with creating a cafe that sells one dish, a three-minute soft-boiled egg, buttered toast, and a coffee. You must make a profit and each item must be served simultaneously. While customers would prefer to have a meal when they sit down, that would require infinite production capacity or a ready-to-serve infantry. Either option eats into your margins, making it harder to sell at a competitive price while making a profit. What you need is a system to deliver breakfasts at a scheduled time, acceptable quality level, and low cost. In reality, customers don't mind waiting 5 to 10 minutes for breakfast. But how do you ensure that? Start with the limiting step and plan production around it. The limiting step is the most difficult, sensitive, expensive, or time-consuming step. When it comes to cooking breakfast, your limiting step is the egg. It takes the longest, costs the most, and is the crucial part. Using the egg's cooking time as your base, give yourself enough time to toast the bread. Use the toasting time to determine when to pour the coffee. Finally, add the time it takes to plate up and offset each step. The time it takes to prepare the dish is known as the total throughput time. We can learn three fundamental production operations from cooking breakfast. One, process manufacturing. These are the physical or chemical changes to material like boiling the egg and toasting the bread. Two, assembly. When you arrange the toast, egg, and coffee to make a meal. And three, testing. This is when you examine components or the final product for faults, like when you check the toast is browned and the coffee is steaming. So far, we've assumed you won't have to wait for the toaster, can always boil an egg, and will never run out of coffee. In practice, any of these things could happen which in turn would make them your limiting step. So what can you do? You can hire specialists like a chef or barista, but this creates overhead, which may be too expensive. You can invest in capital equipment, like a new pot, toaster, or coffee maker. Or you can create an inventory of pre-boiled eggs and pre-toasted bread, but this risks waste. As the manager, your job is to find the most cost-effective way to deliver the best breakfast in the least amount of time. You decide to invest in a continuous egg boiler that provides a constant supply of perfectly boiled three-minute eggs. Relying on continuous operation means lower flexibility. You can't adjust eggs if requested, but customers benefit from lower costs and predictable quality. Another issue is malfunction. If the egg boiler malfunctions, the eggs in the machine can't be sold, and you'll have to throw out the toast because there's no eggs to serve with it. Use a functional test to prevent this. 
Open up the occasional egg to ensure quality. Better yet, use in-process inspection and monitor the temperature of the water. Always opt for in-process tests over those that destroy the product. Eggs could also be cracked, rotten, or take different times to cook, which is why incoming or receiving inspections are important. If all your eggs are rotten, you'll need to close the cafe for the day. Consider having a raw material inventory capable of covering your consumption rate for the time it takes to replace it. But inventory costs money, so weigh the pros against the cons. Just don't forget about the opportunity at risk. How many customers would you lose and what would it cost to lure them back? The final thing to remember is that material becomes more expensive as it moves through the production process. So detect and fix problems at the lowest value possible. Find and reject rotten eggs when they're delivered, not when they're on the customer's plate. A boiled egg is more valuable than a raw. And breakfast in front of the customer is the most valuable. As it turns out, even managing a cafe with a single dish and no employees is complicated. Just wait until we add more people.